Let me tell you a story. Four German friends met at university. One of their mates was a CTO at a small company who was stunned by the serious lack of process for recruitment or payroll and absolutely no software in sight. It was so inefficient. This inspired the friends to found Personio. Since then, they built it into an $8.5 billion company, Europe's biggest in the space. Not bad for a bunch of students, huh? The reason they've got so big is they solve a big problem for business leaders. They make tedious, time-consuming HR processes easy, so you can focus on more important things. Their software handles stuff like booking time off, of course, but also includes joined-up experiences for hiring, onboarding, offboarding, reporting, you name it, they do it. So, if you're leading a small or medium-sized business and want to spend less time and effort on HR admin, then book a demo at personio.com forward slash secretleaders. That's personio.com forward slash secretleaders. There's a link in the show notes. Obviously, I felt, you know, like a failure. At the time, that just seemed like an extraordinarily large amount of money, even though in startup land, it obviously isn't um, when launching like a proper product. Uh, but it seemed like a lot, um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess it felt like a, a failure. And looking back, it was as if we'd been sort of dreaming. Kim Little is a co-founder and CEO of the Moments of Space, a successful meditation app. But about ten years ago, he was in a very different space. He was living in Australia, having co-founded a semantic-driven products company. Yeah, we're going to get onto what that means. Don't worry. And things did not work out. He put 400,000 Australian dollars of his own money into it. They launched a series of cool sounding products, but never really got anywhere. We're here to learn what went wrong. The thing is, to understand this venture, you need to understand the core technology they built first. A vector database, or what's called a semantic word space, is the ability to, to represent content in in our case uh, in up to 200 dimensions so if you think in what we would consider a two-dimensional space the word apple and pear would be close to each other because they have a relationship so now if you want to put in the word iphone which has a relationship to apple but not to pear in a two-dimensional space you can't achieve that but if you make a third dimension then apple and iphone can be near each other in the first dimension apple and pear can be near each other and that's how now how really AI works in a way is it on it's it's creating all these dimensions of meaning between things. So we took the contents of Wikipedia and indexed that into a vector database, which effectively represented the contents in two to hundred dimensional word space, a bit like I'm describing. So obviously words like job and career will be close to each other. Or uh, visa and credit card uh, could be one per versus visa and immigration. And that's how, in a sense, it's kind of the basis of AI. Obviously, AI has gone like through the roof. So we made this technology, which we thought was great and cool. And it was. And then we just thought, well, how can we build applications on top of it? Looking back now with the launch of chat GBT and all of that, it's kind of quite, actually, we were quite on it back then, but we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. Kim and his co-founders were all software engineers, so they had that side buttoned up. But without much of a sense of product or marketing, they ended up building stuff they just thought was cool. We built like a bunch of applications, all with a build it and they will come <laughs> kind of mentality. So yeah, the first one we built was effectively a newsreader 
that um, aggregated different news sources and then attempted to give you the, the news that was most interesting to you. And it would like learn about what you read and what you liked and what you didn't like. Um, there's a whole bunch of those out there now. We built one called Celeb Tweety, which indexed all the tweets of the celebrities on Twitter. It would then analyze your social media feeds and tell you which celebrity you were most like. And we tried to build a sort of bit of a, a celebrity portal around that. None of these things kind of really worked or got, <laughs> got much traction. We then sort of pivoted the first product, which was called Enlighten, into the sports industry. We managed to um, get a partnership with uh, an ex-Australian cricketer or a couple of cricketers. We then sort of pivoted into sports news and aggregating that and then learning what you like, what you don't like. And that was called Starspoon. Um, and then the second to last was we made a like social, actually, as we went more into the sports industry uh, in Australia, we learned that a lot of professional sportsmen um, will kind of go out late at night, get drunk, and then say something they shouldn't on social media, and then get create all kinds of backlash. So actually, we made a platform that would monitor people's tweets and posts and actually moderate them and hold them in a moderation system before they went out, with the idea being to prevent athletes saying things they shouldn't late at night. And that was called uh, Starshell. And then the final product, and the crazy thing was we decided to build like five different products simultaneously, <laughs> uh, was called Kudos Chat Search for Skype. And back then, Skype was like really big, but the search capability within it wasn't, wasn't very good. And also, if you were using it for business, there was no like enterprise-wide search. So we actually uh, made a product that would index um, all your Skype chat history, and we had a business version. And actually, at the time, it was before uh, Microsoft bought Skype. We were we were featured on the Skype App Store, but then Microsoft acquired Skype, and they shut down the App Store, and that was the end of one of our products. <laughs> As Kim would tell you, that's a lot of products, too many products. Focus is so important in startups, and ideally building something that solves a real problem. To be fair, their Skype idea was actually doing that before the Microsoft acquisition, but that was too little, too late, because of their cash position. My two co-founders and I, we, you know, we'd hung on for dear life, of course. It was our dream. Let's go and build something cool and create a startup and make lots of money. And, and so you, know, you hold on really, really tightly, and you don't want to let go. Um, and we'd all kind of devoted every, everything to this. They'd left their, you know, their, their jobs. They were you know, sweating away on, on small salaries and so forth. So um, there were just a number of, we actually had within the Star Spoon product, we had some influencers recommending content on their own social media channels. And we thought we might find a way to create this affiliate revenue. And then we discovered that our, the, met the metric system was like double counting all the, the impressions and the views coming into the site. So we thought this celebrity had brought, you know, 250,000 visitors and we thought, oh, right, we can monetize this. And then suddenly we discovered that it had all been double counted uh, through some technical error. And in actual fact, it was half that. And so suddenly that just like fell away and we realized it just, it wasn't, there wasn't enough ability to make money there using uh, even a, even a decent celebrity. So I suppose it was all these things sort of falling, falling away and realizing we really didn't have anything there. 
we thought we had something in Starspin and we didn't. We thought we had something in Starshell and we didn't. And then Kudas Chat Search and we didn't. And then we were in a position where when we were trying to raise money, having to say to investors that, you know, the runway only had three months on it. And then suddenly it was such just a chicken and egg. No one wanted to invest in a company that had such small runway. So, yeah, we actually ended up going go-karting that day. We decided, right, that's it. And then uh, we went off and we went go-karting on the Sunshine Coast. Uh, and it kind of felt liberated afterwards in a way. Like you just hold on tight and then you let go and go, okay. Before they went go-karting, one of Kim's co-founders turned to him and said, I think we should call it a day. So what did Kim learn from those years of toil? There should be a degree for starting startups. It, it's such a science and there are so many things. There are just so many different facets that you have to understand from engineering to product to audience to positioning to marketing to investment. And the fact is you're just never going to, you're never going to know all of that. But the issue is you don't have any money. So you can't hire people. Well, first of all, you probably don't know you need these people. And then if you're lucky enough or get to a point in your life where you do know you need them, you need the money to hire them. But it's, it's, you'll hear the stories of, you know, two guys in a garage built some product and it was worth a billion, you know, a billion dollars or a billion pounds. But startups are a science and product development is a science and marketing uh, and channels and acquisition and custom acquisition is all a science um, and it all requires absolute experts. Uh, so we were good on the engineering, but we just weren't good on anything else. So I think it's just, it takes a long time and a lot of experience to understand, particularly as like a CEO, which is I'm lucky enough to now be, all those facets and and everything has to be singing. You know, your engineering team has to be singing. Your product development has to be on it. Your marketing team has to be on it. Um, and, you know, it's a big, it's like a ship full of people. Everyone's got to be doing the right thing in the right way all together to make it happen, unless you're just very, very lucky, like these stories. But otherwise, it's, you know, it's a slow, hard grind. And you just, you just need so much, so many different expertises to pull it off was the lesson I learned or have now feel I, I, I know now. Failing is tough on the ego. It hurts. So rebuilding your confidence is arguably the next great challenge. It took a number of years. I, I, I returned to sort of ordinary employment um, and I let go of the startup way <laughs> and I returned to ordinary life. So I didn't really get back on the saddle. You know, I was quite my my dreams had been deflated. I'd realized how difficult it was, uh, how naive I'd been, how much money I've spent. And so I suppose I let it go. I let it go. And actually, it was so many years of hitting into this sort of meditation problem that, it, that I found the courage to give it a go again because of just how hard it was. I knew it was going to be, how much money it was going to cost and, and so on. Kim Little, on licking your wounds, learning your lessons, rebuilding your confidence and going again so you can ultimately prevail. Thanks for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta. If you like this episode, please hit follow or subscribe. See you next time.